Hello and welcome to Movie Challenge Accepted. I'm Jason. And I am Arco. And we're back and we decided after keeping you guys in the 1970s and the mid-2000s for, geez, what, the last few weeks at least. um, We challenged each other this week with a couple of uh, more recent films. Actually, very recent very recent, and it was a refreshing change to see something done only in the last, well, at least released in the last few years on, on my end. I don't know how you felt about it. It actually was, yeah. So um, I, you gave me uh, Greenland, the 2020 Gerard Butler, uh, End of the World. Yes, End of the World. End of the World thriller, <laughs> uh, directed by Rick Roman Waugh and written by Chris Sparling. Right. And I gave you Paul Schrader's 2021 The Card Counter with Oscar yes. Isaac. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, I'll start. We said I was going to start this week, and I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Wow, that is high praise uh, for those of you out there, Jason. Uh, we, uh, we we spoke about this film in our uh, thread with our friend, and uh, months ago, probably about a year ago, when it uh, really came out, and they made fun of me to to no end. So I was looking forward to Jason seeing this film. We, we did make fun of you. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I So there's a couple of issues that I had off the bat. Not knowing, okay. not I would never have seen this movie, and this is the classic sort of movie challenge accepted scenario, right? Is absolutely, absolutely. I would never have seen this movie for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. I, am, I have a, a deep aversion to apocalyptic stories. Okay. And I think that comes from reading Cormac McCarthy's The Road right when it came out in, I think it was 2005. Uh, I remember I read that over the course of two two airline flights connecting it like oh, I don't know over eight hours, and that novel has stayed with me in a very disturbing manner to this day. Okay, never saw the movie with Viggo Mortensen, but the book was enough. Okay, <laughs> so I don't I don't like I mean some of those old nineteen seventies uh, disaster movies like The Towering Inferno and The Poseidon Adventure. Right, right. I Classics. Can, yeah, I can get down with them. Mm-hmm. Gene Hackman hanging from a uh, a gas <laughs> a steam shut off valve upside down in the bowels yeah, of a absolutely. boat. Yeah. There's something about them, like, but maybe it's because of where we are in in the world with regards to climate change and right. just sort of cultural upheaval. Like, I don't know. I don't get my rocks off from watching people try to survive the end of the world. Right, right. But this was not what I thought it was. I expected it to be this sort of throwback Roland Emmerich style. Right. I, I figured fest. you would. I figured you would because I think we still have in our minds the films like Armageddon and Deep Impact. Both came out within a month of each other in 1998. So I kind of did think that that's what you were going into when I challenged you with this film. That is absolutely what I thought it was. And I think that's the reason why one of the reasons why I stayed away from it was because I right. thought it was going to be this. Right, right. Exactly. But it wasn't. The other reason why is... Gerard Butler. <laughs> what can we say about Gerard Butler? Like, I don't know, man. He 300 is a seminal movie for, for guys like you and I and that right, when right. it came out and that hyper-stylized approach to uh, the, yeah, the adaptation exactly. of, of that comic. Absolutely. And my introduction to Zack Snyder type film. And probably, arguably, Zack Snyder's best movie, although... I would stand for the director's cut of Watchmen. Okay, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on both. Yeah, I think uh, uh, three hundred uh, just uh, as just a stylized action film just hits all the right buttons. Yes, 
So, but since then, Gerard Butler, and before we get into the movie, let's just, let's look at Gerard <laughs> Butler's career. Let's, the choices he's made. My God, he's credited oh, 54 boy. movies. Yeah. So, after 300, mm-hmm. he does uh, P.S. I Love You, which is uh, a rom-com, I think, with uh, Catherine Heigl. Yes. Is that the one with Catherine Heigl? No, Hilary Swank. Um, That's Hilary Swank. Uh, uh, Oh my God, that that's all with Hillary respect. Okay, I'm sorry because he's he's done a few rom uh, rom coms, and while the leading ladies all changed, the movies were all the same. Yeah. Terrible. Well, the rom. Well, you know, my wife would say that the rom com is an art form that is sadly now uh, Hollywood no longer cares about, and that there's an audience for those kinds of movies. Thankful? Question mark. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm not going to fault with the amount of of stuff being produced if someone wants to see rom-coms i'm not going to fault them for it i've seen i've seen more than a few uh some some of them are good some of those old Nora efron movies with tom hanks and and meg ryan like i i can get down with those no i i enjoyed uh sleepless in seattle yeah i mean it it, you know what those movies are when they're well done they hit all the right uh buttons and i'm okay with that but okay yeah he did that he uh, the one i was thinking of with gerard butler was the ugly truth that was with Catherine heigl but then okay. there's a bunch of movies here and i obviously he's he's working uh i didn't know he was the voice in and how to train he's a one of the primary voice actors in how to train your dragon in oh yeah scene. he was the uh he was the uh the leader in the first one um uh the uh uh, hiccups, uh, no hiccup, yeah hiccup, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever his son's name is in the film. That's uh, that's his father, and he's the leader of all those Viking men. I, I haven't seen any of them. There's been three. Oh, really? There's How okay. to Train he, Your Dragon. There's a sequel, yeah. and then there's the Hidden Wall- World. God, yeah. That, let me tell you, so those movies are very well done, in my opinion. So if you ever have a chance to catch them, even just a, a small amount, I, I, you would enjoy them. Although I, I'm not sure if animation is your thing these days. No, I can. I, I love uh, the Pixar movies. I thought uh, Coco was one of the best movies I've seen recently. Yes, very good movie. Very, yeah, I agree. I love that mm-hmm. movie. But um, yeah, but he's done. He's done that. He's a Geostorm. He's done like Angel has fallen and Olympus has yeah, fallen. Yeah, he he does those uh, fallen films. <laughs> and there, you know, there's also a sequel to this movie coming out. I know, which kind of ruins this a little bit for me because if it had ended the way it did. I would have been perfectly happy with that because I, I, in my personal opinion, I thought this was a perfect disaster film um, in, in that it happens and now they're there to pick up the pieces. It's almost like it's, it's, it's the worst case scenario, but still there is a scenario where life uh, is still exists. Holy cr- He was in Reign of Fire? Oh yeah, absolutely. With Christian Bale, he was his friend. Who I love that movie. Doing, that was a great movie, and I did not know that either. Like when uh, when Three Hundred and uh, Watchmen, and, and I mean uh, Three Hundred came out, and you look back on the films that he's made, I did not realize it also that he was his friend. He didn't look that, that like that like he didn't. Like whenever we think of Gerard Butler now, you always immediately start thinking of how he looked in 300. So whenever you see him in a, a different look, you're like, wow, I can't believe that's him. Um, he looked very skinny in Reign of Fire. And I love that movie also. I saw that in the movie theater. Yeah, that's an underrated movie. And that's, oh, yeah, a, that's a real good, freaky Matthew McConaughey performance. Oh, yeah. He 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 goes, uh, 
He goes full tilt on that one. Yeah. You know, this is great. You know what? We should just relabel this podcast episode, the, an examination of Gerard Butler's uh, career. Oh. He, <laughs> he played, hang on, this, 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 this is the kind of movie insights you learn about in on this show. Yeah. Butler yeah. played the Phantom in a Joel Schumacher adaptation of Phantom of the Opera? Can Gerard Butler sing? Was that a musical? Oh, I, is, is I'm anyone, not sure. Is anyone still listening now? We've gone so far <laughs> down this rabbit hole. People are, are hitting are hitting stop right and left. But uh, Okay, so yeah, maybe I need to reassess Gerard Butler and his impact in our cultural life. Something else that uh, you have made fun of me on on the thread, because I've, I've stuck up for Gerard in his career, because I've liked a lot of his early things, and I've seen what he's done. And uh, you guys make fun of him, quite, him, me. So, uh, he's, he's he, like you said, he's been busy. Uh, I think the one take away from uh, Gerard's career is that he plays a lot of um, at least in the last 10 years, a lot of his roles are very generic. A lot of everyman type um, roles, uh, like he was in this particular film. He wasn't particularly special uh, in this film. He didn't have the special ops. He didn't have the special smarts. But um, you know, a little bit of a survivor. In we're talking about in Greenland. In Greenland. And in, in Greenland. Yes. So yeah, that's where we are. Is um, Greenland 2020 essentially? Uh, Comet's going to hit the Earth. Everyone's going to die. But there was a yeah. really interesting twist, and this is when the movie first grabbed me. Is he? He's in the uh, he's in the grocery store with his son, and he mm-hmm. gets that automated phone call about how you've right. been selected for relocation and safety. Mm-hmm. And that was, and, and the whole idea is that the U.S. government has this secret program to save intellectuals and people with certain skills that will help rebuild society after the apocalypse. Okay, and which makes total sense to me. As unfair as it will be, to, I mean, you're a lot smarter than me, Jason, and you'll probably be a lot more important than me looking back on our <laughs> lives. But, but I'm not, I'm not getting saved. <laughs> you know, I, I realize that watching this film, if there is such a alert system out there, I'm not getting that call. There, there, there will be a need for podcasts in the post-apocalyptic world, <laughs> oh, and boy. people are going to need to know about the movies they can't see anymore because society is falling apart. But okay. Yeah, but uh, so when when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And it kind of tweaked a little interest button in me. And I paid attention a little bit more uh, attentively than I might have otherwise. I was afraid I was going to wander. And the other thing that kind of grabbed me was this really isn't like a big budget movie. I looked it up. According to IMDb, it's a $34 million budget, which right, right. for this kind of movie is not a lot. <laughs> not at all. And But... It, why you would think that it was would have been a bigger budget movie is in the past, like the films that we spoke of, a lot of that budget went into the special effects. Whereas this film was not based so much on the special effects or even on the you know the villain of the piece, which you would you would consider to be the comet, but more along the lines of the human part, all of, all of humanity, the the human aspect of this film, and that's yeah. why they didn't need they didn't need that big of a budget. Yeah, and it definitely focuses much like the road focuses on the 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 de evolution of humanity and sort of the our return to the most basic primitive kinds of animals that we are, and that right. society only kind of puts a puts a masking tape over to hold us together. Um, yeah, this did a real effective job of sort of putting him, 
putting the uh, Gerard Butler, the John Garrity character, in a mm-hmm. bunch of situations, and and also, I'm sorry, uh, Monica. Oh, I'm going to get her name wrong. Yes, you are. <laughs> Morena Baccarin, his wife, yes. um, right. putting her in, in similar situations where it's just, it's not so much the, the comet that's going to kill us, it's ourselves, and mm-hmm. we're going to tear ourselves apart. Although the comet does kill everyone, or yes. 99% yes. of people. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Starting with Europe. Which, yeah. Uh, which well, is starting, okay. starting with Tampa, which. Uh, the stri- yes, it did. It did start with Tampa Live on television, no less. The strip club industry got decimated in this movie, unfortunately. (laughs) You know what? Isn't that just like us now that we are, you know, you have the... um... You have the reporters reporting on it live as it happens. We're all waiting. There, there's a countdown. People are watching it on television. We like we're waiting to see something that we we know we, we, they thought it was going to just be in the ocean. It was going to be that big of a piece. It wasn't going to be that destructive, or you know, it wasn't going to be anything. But here we are. We're sitting. We're waiting. We're watching by the television to actually see this thing fall out of the sky. And here we have a front seat to the end of the world, and we watch thousands and thousands and thousands of people die live on television and we were right there isn't that the way the world works now yeah and i mean for the purposes of the storytelling of this movie i think they almost rely it's kind of a a bit of a trope where you have characters who are learning things about Mm -hmm. the story they're in because they're watching the news or because they're hearing the radio and that's kind of always been a trope within movies and film it's an easy way to convey information to the viewer that you can't really get out in any other way but i thought they did rely on it a bit heavily in this and i think that part of that obviously there was a stuff they that there was the aspects of the end of the world story that they needed to convey to the viewer and there's also we might not have the budget to show you this three or four times to show you you know tampa getting decimated and so you sort of see it on a small tv within a bigger frame and And then later on, there's another scene when there's a live streaming. Uh, someone is live streaming. Uh, I forget what what city they were in, but they got wiped out. And so right. you're sort of getting this the same way that that uh, John Garrity is getting it. And I, I thought they relied on it a bit more than I would have liked, but I understand why they had to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I you know. I, the fact that it was a smaller movie and it forced them to spend a lot of time in cars as people are trying to get to airports to right. evacuate, I thought that worked in the in the movie's favor. I, I think that what I love the most about it is it's actually the scariest part of the uh, uh, part of the film is that oh, the scariest aspect I should say is that if something like this happens, if something like this were to happen we would literally tear ourselves apart as a society as before it happens we would uh, the band-aid that the 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 tape that is holding us together is really could be ripped off with just one news bulletin that something is happening and it goes out the window religion um our our decency morals it's going to go it's going to go as fast as anything else and this is what we are going to be um reduced to just animals in the street fighting for whatever little bits that we can get in the uh, in whatever time we have left. Yeah, and uh 
that's one of the things. There's a there's a Simpsons episode that uh, there's a reference to the impending end of the world, and there's a shot of everyone in a church running over oh, to Moe's Tavern. I, I and, love I love that episode. And I everyone in Moe's Tavern runs into the church, and right. so yeah, it's it's that sort of kind of mentality. Yeah, but uh, yeah, pretty much crazy yeah so i was trying as soon as she came on screen i was trying to figure out uh where i'd seen uh morena Baccarin before deadpool no i did not see deadpool you oh i'm sorry i apologize no that's where i know her from (laughs) she she played damian lewis's wife in homeland okay the the uh showtime series with uh claire dane okay there you go yeah so and but it was it was it was irritating the hell out of me and i was trying to figure out where i'd seen her before but uh i mean yeah this not being what i expected got my interest but then there were some aspects of how that it was executed um Mm -hmm. I wasn't that crazy. There's a section here that there's a long period. The movie takes place essentially over what, like 28 hours, 30, 36 hours. Uh, like, w- yeah, within 36 hours, I believe. Yeah, it's like a very compressed time frame. So you spend a lot of time with John Garrity and his his wife, Allison, who are separated and they're trying to get back to each other. You spend a lot of time with them in cars. And there was a decision made to not really light anything. And I saw this, I watched this, in the afternoon, and I couldn't really black out the room that I was in. And man, it was like watching that that the battle the battle of Winterfell on Game of Thrones. Like there were there were points of time where I had no clue what was going on on yeah, the screen. You were, squint, you were squinting hard. I get you. Yeah, that, that was yeah. just from like a. I appreciate it when 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 movies and, and films are, are kind of dark. I don't think you need to see everything. But right. my God, s- someone throw a loom cube up there or something. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, some glow sticks, anybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. okay. Well, know. do you think that that was maybe the what they were looking for? I mean, again, society breaking down, um, nighttime. Uh, I, you, we saw lots of fires going on, obviously, but I mean, I don't really remember th- what you're saying. Um, looking back, I, I don't really remember seeing city lights. So it's possible that things had already corroded to the part, uh, to the point that now all the grid is down or something along those lines. Yeah. I think it was more just, I think it was an artistic decision too. I think they just decided, you know, that w- this is what we're going to do and we're going to shoot it in this way and we're going to show it in this way. And the darkness kind of mirrors the darkness of what's going on within the story. And I'm okay with that. I've, right. you know, like it's right. just, it's, it was something that was, difficult for for me but i i mean it's again it's an artistic choice because they also do the same thing later as the comet which i'm assuming is named after the science fiction writer arthur c clark who wrote uh i'm not really sure if that's an assumption that we can make i'm making that assumption <laughs> okay, you know what i'm, I'm declaring it, it in you. fact truth uh yeah the, the the asteroid is named clark with an yeah, e at the cool. end and and arthur c clark who wrote 2001 space odyssey um, I'm assuming it's a reference to to him, but um, there's a later on uh, when it's daylight again. Sort of the the comet has affected the atmosphere to the point that everything is has this very deep orange, yellow, reddish tint to it. Yeah, yeah right. Which again is kind of weird, but it, you know it works for the movie. But uh, yeah, like it's weird. As I'm thinking about it now, as I watch the movie. 
I'm like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be, and it's kind of interesting. As a matter of fact, the best scene, actually, before, let me get my notes, the most effective scene in the movie is when John is trying to protect himself from these two guys that are attacking him, and he inadvertently kills one with the claw right. side of a hammer. Right, right. And there's a moment when John realizes, oh, shit, what have I become? Mm-hmm. And I thought the way they did that, the way they pulled that off, was was actually pretty effective and pretty and, and pretty well done and those those kind of quiet moments which is what the movie's about for all the way it was built and maybe that's a failure in marketing but the way the way it was built to me or my my recollection of when i saw this coming out is that it was going to be another like oh asteroid hitting the earth um and i think that that's uh, probably what most people thought and uh, you know looking at the reviews I know we spoke about the reviews that it's it's a disaster movie with um, you know uh, the Guardian we talked about the Guardian before comet disaster movie with a surprisingly uh, human element to it uh, I, I think that the best parts of this film again weren't the the effects it's it's everything that people are going through with only 36 hours left in the world knowing that they're going to die and how it executes that part of uh, of the film that's the best part of these uh, of this particular film that was nothing like Armageddon and Deep Impact yeah know, and the, the films that we we know from 20 years ago and thankfully Michael Bay had nothing to do with this movie so <laughs> I think we're done with Michael Bay on this on this podcast <laughs> I don't know uh, I'm trying to think what else you could make me watch of his or maybe there's well, something I mean, pa- pain and gain I think you would like pain and gain from Michael Bay oh. and there, I promise you there was no special effects in that in that film <laughs> So the fact that it got made is pretty special. Um, <laughs> but hey, when you put the rock behind it, anything can happen. Uh, anything um, can happen, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, you, you know, and, and I also when talking about the in terms of the story, I, I almost so I was gonna I was gonna talk about the ending here and how I thought that maybe the the more effective ending would have been to just end with the doors on the bunker in Greenland just being shut and kind of. Right. But I oh, that would be. That would be good. Uh, that would be good. But it does yeah. sort of leave it up in the like that's a much more um non it's a non definitive ending. It's an ambiguous ending, and I know that from what I read is that audiences don't like ambig ambiguity. I do. Um but I mean if if they never thought of making another film after this, that would have been the perfect ending. And and let's just go into the film real fast. Obviously, everybody knows that uh, there's a comet coming. Uh, Clark, it's going to hit. They did not realize it until very uh, until very very late. Uh, this comet really came out of nowhere, and uh, that's what's scary about it. This <laughs> wondering if something like this could really happen. And uh, there are a certain number in the society that were getting these pres- presidential alerts that they needed to get to these military basis so they could be taken to shelter shelter being in greenland where supposedly not just in the film but apparently from what i've know and what i what i've read there at the very least there are bunkers filled with uh either data knowledge or um agricultural uh, abilities like seeds that would help uh, society regrow itself after a disaster like this and this is where gerard butler has to get his family yeah within a certain amount of time before those bunkers close and before the uh, comet hits and wipes out all of humanity yeah and you know and it's the classic you know put your put your hero up in a tree and then throw stones at him 
he gets separated from the wife and they got to get back together and they do make a nice uh detour to scott glenn scott uh, glenn yeah 81 some work 81 years old doesn't look it in this S- film still looks like he's straight out of uh uh urban cowboy was it midnight cowboy or urban cowboy oh i uh honestly couldn't tell you i remember him from the right stuff <laughs> so i don't think i saw either one of those films <laughs> um yeah but just still uh, the, i'm amazed that scott glenn can still look uh as as ripped and as uh sinewy Craggly. yeah he does I, but i mean it's hanging off of him at this point he he's a poor man ziggy pop <laughs> yeah i get it. still though i mean he's uh, he's hey if i can look like that when i'm 81 and i can still uh Urban, he, he, he was in Urban Cowboy. That's the one I was thinking okay. of. But if I can still be working when I'm 81 mm-hmm. and being effective in, in sort of that gravelly uh, role as, as Allison's dad that doesn't right. get along with, uh, with John because John cheated on Allison. And that's, where the, yes. that's yes. kind of where the movie opened up. But um, yeah. I, although, I, we, although we don't learn about that till later in the film. No, so, it's, it's inferred know. straight away that he did something to fuck up. Yeah, 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 and and you can only sort of based on on his wife's kind of reaction, you kind of get like you know he yeah she's very cold and standoffish to him. Yeah, he stepped out when he shouldn't have, mm-hmm. but um yeah, like it, my my feelings on this one are kind of weird because uh like I said in the moment I enjoyed it, but it's also one of those movies that as soon as I was done, I didn't think about it anymore. Okay, and All right. that's fine. And if you and I weren't discussing it, like I was trying mm-hmm. to appreciate, there's no moment that makes me that that really jumped out at me, uh, other than the claw hammer one, uh, the the killing. But okay, okay, yeah. I mean, uh, pleasantly surprised, not overwhelmed, but uh, it's it's good that I'm I'm glad Gerard Butler's getting work, and and <laughs> not not as if I need to validate his career or his life, but uh. He is one of those actors, man. He's kind of the most fascinating thing in this is because he he chooses somewhat interesting roles. Like he was in Den of Thieves, which is a great movie. Uh, great. Everyone in the movie's horrible. A uh, right, cop right. cop and robber heist movie. If you've never seen it, that's a good one. No, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. And I wanted to see this last year. He was also in a movie that that came out, uh, Cop Shop, uh, about a, uh, a guy trying to, I think he's a bounty hunter. Or a con artist, he's trying to uh, to kill a guy that's got a um, that's got a contract out on him, and and I don't know, man. Those small kinds of really gritty kind of crime movies are what I'm drawn to, and right, right. and Butler was in Rock and Roller, which is not a, I liked it, uh, right. not uh, not the best one from Guy Ritchie. No, no, yeah. and he was also in Machine Gun Preacher, but he's I, I don't know, like he's a very unusual actor like he's been present in our lives for right and he's unapologetic he's unapologetic uh, unapologetically scottish who as an just like your favorite sean connery the man gets roles in any type of film and will not do anything to cover up that accent that's it and if you hate it that's fine but you know what people still want him to be in their films so it must not be a problem so you're saying that Scottish people don't deserve to be actors? Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you you can you can not. Well, uh, let's put it this way: we both love Sean Connery. You love him more than I do. Yes. Okay, but some of the some of the choices that he's made, you know, you would not think that a Scot a Scottish person would be able to 
pull it off. Well, the, the man cla- was supposed to be a Russian general, a, was, a commander of a submarine. Yeah, Captain Captain Ramius is he, okay. he he gives he gives like three lines in Russian, and then they segue into into English, and for the rest of the movie, it's we shall into history. And, <laughs> exactly. And, but you know what? So. But again, I I wouldn't put. You know, by no means would I put Gerard Butler up there with Sean Connery. Uh, no, but no. yeah, like uh, yeah. oh, one other thing I meant to say. This is another note I had on the movie. Uh, not the best kid actor performance in the world. Uh, no. But to be quite honest with you, I never look at the kids when it comes to acting. It's such a difficult thing to do to begin with, and the I think most of the kids these days when I see them, they don't really do a lot. Um, that to, to, to have to showcase their uh, their acting abilities, and this kid is a step above Jake Lloyd, and hopefully ends up in a with a better career. Yeah, but you know, I I get what you're saying, but when you do get a good performance out of a kid, you end up with a an all time classic. Notice, like yeah, you, you you notice it. Yeah, yeah, like Haley Joel Osment in Sixth Sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is you know, but but again, I get that it's hard. Guess what? I've acted in zero movies, so I would (laughs) probably be terrible. (laughs) No, no, I'm sure you'd be fine, Jason. You you know the nuance. You have the nuances down. Yeah, we all say that until someone says action. But uh, (laughs) yeah, man, uh, Greenland, perfectly fine movie. Like well done. uh, One point I want to make though. This film. This film, and, and this is another thing that I, I uh, had brought up in the thread with our friend. We, uh, it was supposed to be released, uh, I, I believe, early in 2020, and we would make fun of it and all that stuff. But it was not, did not come out until uh, October of 2020 during the pandemic. It was released direct to video. Obviously, you know, nobody knew what was go- going on with the movie theaters, and that's why it got a little bit more. Um, hype, maybe is the word for it, than it would have if it was just released in a regular February, uh, a, a type of um, time of the year when his dead films come out at that time. And, you know, it was kind of billed like this is the movie that we need to bring us out of the doldrums. It was a perfect film for the pandemic, the bad pandemic time, because nobody was releasing anything else. So this was actually a good movie, I think, to help distract people a little bit even though it was still kind of an end-of-the-world scenario, even, and that's what it felt like we were going through. So how do you feel of it? It kind of helped people uh, come out a little bit when it came to uh, when it was released. I can't get down with this kind of movie as being a distraction from the realities of COVID, and especially what COVID was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, hey, your mileage might vary, but for, for me, it just... I would never, and maybe that's part of the reason why I was what I was not interested in this at all. That yes, there were very few new movies coming out at that time, but this yes. wouldn't have been one that I would have uh, that I would have gravitated to. Not, not even, not even on on demand. No, because and see, here's the problem, and this is something that I learned with uh, with novels and with with books in the book industry, is there's so much out there at our fingertips. Literally, you can watch pretty much anything that's ever been made from your home. And what that does is I think for a lot of people, myself included, you kind of go back to movies that bring you comfort, that can return you to a place in your life that we weren't living through 
a pandemic. And so okay. you'll go back and you'll rewatch Die Hard or The Untouchables <laughs> or... Still, still rough movies, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but they're not... Like the stakes, like, I, I don't know. the the Because the, literally at the end of this movie, most of the world dies. Yes, most of the world is dead. And But ultimately, it is a hopeful ending, even though the ending is conveyed through some fairly tough-to-stomach CGI. Um, the effects in this are not great when they do have to tilt the camera up and sort of get a big-picture image of what the Clark asteroid is doing or has done to right, the world. Right, but, you didn't, but uh, by the same token, it, they didn't need too much of that to convey the destruction that it has wrought. So no. I didn't think I didn't find it to be too cheesy when it came to the effects. No, except for the final shot. The the final shot is literally an image of the world of a camera sort of zooming out from the planet Earth and you right, sort right. of see what what's happened and it looks kind of charred. Yeah, but and and also but it kind of looks again like kind of like video gaming. I think they would have been I think and again, person who has made zero movies, um, I think they almost would have been better served to to practically ignore all of the exterior sort of viewpoints of what this thing is doing. And I get you you need that, but if you had just made it a very intense story of John trying to find his wife and son, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it could be even more... But then again, then you're looking at something like The Road, which... Again, as as a novel is 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 strictly about a father and son trying to survive. So I guess then maybe it's a little too derivative. So okay, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, okay, but overall, not what you thought it was going to be, and probably better than you thought it was going to be. Correct? Better than I thought it was going to be, and and the take, uh, the con- the the twist on on sort of the the trope of only certain people surviving and being selected, right. uh, pretty effective. Yeah, I, you know, had a had a good time. Um, okay segueing from from that into what might be a a more disturbing psychological movie uh yeah, from one disaster to another <laughs> i challenged you with paul schrader's 2021 uh oscar isaac starring movie mm-hmm. the card counter right what'd you think okay so um i was not aware of this film so once again, the challenge has brought me to a place that I would never have gone to. Uh, I'm not sure if I uh, had seen any Paul Schrader films. Uh, looking back on his list, I had not. And I am not a huge um, Oscar Isaac fan. Really? Seems to me I'm not. He's oh, a great man. Actor. He's a great actor. He's a great actor. I will give you that. However, he's got the same look in every single film that he has. It's it really it doesn't change at all. And all the films that I've seen him in, I've seen him in a few. I mean, let's let's put the Star Wars films on the side for now. He has that same look in all the films. So it it, it just can't get away from it. I don't know what it is. And to me, a lot of emotion comes from a person's look uh, when it comes to acting. So I'm not sure if he's playing a a different character in every single film that he's in. It almost seems like he's playing the same character a little bit. However, I enjoyed the film for what it was. And what it was to me was something that I could never never understand 
so the, uh, Oscar Isaac um, is Hang on, a can, person. Okay, go uh, ahead. Before we get into that, I'm, I'm curious. I want to dig into this Oscar Isaac thing. So there okay. are certain okay. actors that we've talked about that kind of, mm-hmm. like, and we just discussed it a little bit with Sean Connery, right? Where, mm-hmm. right. you know, he, he makes no apologies for how he speaks and he never tries right. to do anything different as opposed to Tom right. Hardy who mm-hmm. speaks in a different unintelligible accent in every movie he's in. I know but he tries. Right, <laughs> he right. Tries. And we both like Hardy. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> um yeah. but so I'm I'm kind of curious. So did you like did you I don't think we can ignore uh, Isaac in the Star Wars movies. Did you like him in those? Um Okay. He could have been played that that uh, Poe Dameron could have been played by anybody. It did not need Oscar Isaac in that film. Whereas a um, whereas another part of uh, those films, uh, I don't know. I mean, could could Luke Skywalker have been played by anybody else other than Mark Hamill? Are you looking back on it? I don't think Oscar Isaac is going to be remembered. Those films are going to be remembered for Oscar Isaac. To be quite honest with you. It's, it, it, uh, to me, that character is forgettable, not only because of the way he was written, but the way that it was acted out. They were looking for the next Han Solo, and they did not find them, in, in my opinion, in Oscar Isaac. Wow, interesting. My, my opinion. And don't get me wrong, not that I love those films to begin with. I mean, out of the three of them, the first one was my favorite um, maybe because it was so familiar, we're going back in, uh, upon second and third viewings of that film of uh, A New Hope. Uh, excuse me, not A New Hope, of um, you know uh, The Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. Which is yeah. essentially The New Hope. A New Hope, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it was the same film. It was a rehash of uh, Star Wars from 1977. Um, but it was my favorite. You know, because it was new, it was fresh, it was very well done, it was shot very well. I thought the effects, you know, they were, not, we're not going into that film, obviously. But I don't remember that film for Oscar Isaac's performance. And nor do I do all three of them. I've, in fact, I think the character actually got sillier as the two movies, as the three movies went on. I would agree with you. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and but that's I think... him. Uh, he, he also said that he really wanted them to write the character in a different way and that's what he thought they were going to do and you know he said that he wanted uh poe and finn to be you know uh to be lovers in in to be a, a homosexual couple in in the movies and you almost felt that was going to happen from the first film and then they kind of just you know they dangled that thread and then took it back well that's what they did like there was no plan yeah. for those movies at all and it totally shows because they they retcon their own movies and, and oh. it, like oh. it those the, those three are kind of a disaster because there's no kevin feige controlling right. that universe yeah. right yeah i agree yeah but okay no i'm sorry we we've gotten way down into the weeds of <laughs> this has now become a star wars podcast but i'm sorry oh you, you don't want to do that <laughs> no we probably don't um no. So yeah, I was just curious about why you you felt that way about Oscar but, Isaac because I actually but, think he's one of our I think he's one of my top three currently working actors. Okay, all right. I mean, I could see it. he's done some good work. Uh, he's he's definitely not a um, a blockbuster type actor, which is always great for a, for an actor's career that wants to be taken seriously. Um, he's been uh, I I think he's been uh, he's gotten one or two. Um, Oscar awards uh, nominations, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he's been nominated. Um, a few yeah, times. I think he's been nominated. So, so he's he's out there, uh, and people know him. But 
myself, he he just doesn't do it for me. However, in this film, he's perfect for this uh, for the way he portrays uh, uh, this this character, uh, William Tell. Um, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. Why don't you tell him a little bit about the film? I mean, so you haven't watched any other Paul Schrader movies, and I got to correct myself. And yeah, and no, you, he according to his IMDb, he has not been nominated for Oscars. Okay. Um, okay. He he has been nominated for the Indiana Film Journalists Association uh, <laughs> in twenty twenty one for this film, though, and he won. Okay. All right. So well, he's, I hey. mean, this film was on the top ten of a lot of people's lists. Yeah. Uh, as best uh, from last year, so which is great. Yeah. You know. So Paul Schrader, for those of you that don't know, he kind of came to prominence in back in the seventies. Um, he's of that same school as like Martin Scorsese and uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Steven Spielberg, sort of that era of directors and filmmakers that came out of that time. And he, and he's one of them. And he's, I guess he's kind of the one that is more forgotten. Um, maybe Brian De Palma is also in that sort of the lesser tier of these, these actors, uh, of these directors. But his thing, he's a, he's a, he's not a nihilist, but he's an extreme pessimist. Uh, I've yes. seen a few interviews with him, and he very much believes that we are hurtling towards our own self destruction for any number of reasons. And I agree with him. Many of his movies concern men confronting this existential sense of dread of they have done something terrible or they are about to do something terrible, and they don't know how to stop themselves. And the okay. the seminal example of this with Trader is his screenplay for Taxi Driver. Okay. And there's a running motif in a lot of Schrader's movies where his characters, his main characters will sit alone in a room and they will journal. And that's mm-hmm. a thing that will William Tell does in this movie a number of times. Right. Um, and that's a way to sort of get inside the character's head in, in a manner that you might be able to do in a, in a novel but is much more difficult to do in a movie. And and I believe, uh, having said all that, looking back on the film, you could definitely tell that this character, William Tell, was a tortured soul and was living his day-to-day life in a way that he was, um, I'm not sure, running away from his past is the way to say it, but living with it as best as he could while not, while not letting him, while not letting it consume him entirely i think he was trying to keep his past at bay like i yes, the, yes. the the scene when he when he checks into the hotel room and then he takes out a suitcase filled with mm-hmm. white sheets and he wraps everything in the room with these white and, sheets and watched i watched that scene a few times and i still don't understand why he did that so you're gonna have to help me with that my interpretation is he was trying to recreate the prison cell that he spent time in um, I, I, the only, th- I mean, I thought that maybe that would be it. He did say, oh, I did, I'm not sure if he said it, but I definitely got the idea that he was happiest in his life after, uh, after the whole military experience that he went through while he was in the prison, because he did say that it was very structured you know, he he knew what time he was waking up, what he was doing that day. There was not, there was no change. That's that's what that's what his life was about. And I think that was when he was at his happiest, or at least most comfortable. Yeah, and he needed that 
in he's one of those people that needs that sort of imposed structure in order to, right. to, exactly. to get through his life. And that's why exactly. the, the, the conceit of the story is, is that he was in the military. He participated in the, uh, the horrors that took place at Abu Ghraib um, mm-hmm. at the prison. And those, those scenes I thought were shot in this wild frenetic sort of uh, uh, fisheye lens, the fisheye you know, lens and the way that right. camera moves through the jail. And sort of, if you watch those scenes, it, if you look in the corners of what's going on in those cells mm-hmm. off to the left, and right it's just i noticed oh man it's this horror horror house of horrors of uh it's terrible yeah it was it's just terrible and he's one of the the lower ranking guys that that took the fall for the fact that this was instituted in in sort of practiced as 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 protocol within the military right. during that time right and so he does time for it and he gets out and essentially he's just living the life of a traveling gambler doesn't, drifting gambler. Yeah. Drifting gambler doesn't bet too high. Always keeps it low. There's no thrill. And I love. Mm-hmm. Do you like movies that, that involve gambling or that involve like? Well, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you, <laughs> as, as well as we know each other, Jason. I'm not sure if you know, but I love blackjack. And uh, while I cannot afford to play blackjack very often, whenever I do, I I, I do pretty well. And I enjoy it. And uh, pretty well to me is leaving with more money than you went in with. Yes. So uh, whether that be $50 more or a few hundred dollars more. But I enjoy it. I know how to play it. So a lot of the things that he was talking about and and, and and a good gambling movie will, like Rounders, will explain some of the things to you that is going on in the film that maybe a uh, layman would not understand. Um, People with morals. I felt, <laughs> well, I felt that it was done very well, and uh, I, I I did enjoy this particular part of the of the film with the gambling. I I love movies that that explore gambling and casinos because I find casinos to be fascinating places, but ultimately really sad places. And oh, I, I I was going to say that it's uh, you cannot find a more decrepit <laughs> decrepit place than a casino if. It's not on a big strip like in Las Vegas. Any casino outside of the big strip, it is it is terrible to see the the people that are in there because they are the dregs, or either they are the dregs of society or they are in their dregs of yeah. their society. Yeah, they're in, for whatever reason. Yeah, they're those are the people that are at a point where they're like they just got you know their their paycheck and they need for whatever reason they got to go try to turn that into a few hundred dollars more. And there's right. just a a pervasive sadness that exists in casinos. I agree. But I, I agree. as a guy that spent a lot of time at poker tables in different casinos, <laughs> I also find that fascinating and sort of exploring the different kinds of personalities that show up in a casino and you know Schrader doesn't glorify them he's the the gambling scenes are very they're portrayed in a way that tell clearly does this in order to make a living right it's a job like a guy in a factory or someone going to an office there's no there's very little joy from it this is not a joyful life for him and i think that's part of the point and and as a person who counts cards uh in in the film and he he says it himself he says you know the key is to not win too much not to be showy he works he does this anonymously it's not his real name obviously william tell and he just wants to stay off everybody's radar this is why he pays cash wherever he goes this is why he 
he he basically doesn't even leave fingerprints looking at it you know he doesn't leave anything of himself wherever he goes uh people know him uh, just by his his name, his given whatever names he gives, uh, and he knows people by their names. Like, um, what was the name of the person that he met, Mister Slippery? You know, he just yeah. knows them by by that name or whatever he said the name was. And he says, "I'm not going by that name anymore." I mean, wh- whatever community they have, they know each other just by these made up names, and they're perfectly happy with it. You know, you used you said a very interesting phrase there that he leaves nothing of himself behind. And right. that might be the, oh, the this character's overwhelming trait is that yeah. he goes through this movie, goes through this this world, leaving nothing of himself anywhere. He's almost a complete cipher, a shadow that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And even when he connects with humans in a real way, with um, connecting with Lalinda uh, Tiffany yeah. Haddish, who I thought was doesn't pretty good how. in this, he doesn't yeah, very good, very good. Doesn't know how she was excellent, and then he connects with them. Um, Ty Sheridan plays a uh, Kirk with a C. Kirk with a C. Kirk with a C, <laughs> whose father uh, killed himself because he worked for the same major that mm-hmm. that Oscar Isaac worked for overseas mm-hmm. in Abu Ghraib, which is uh, played by, in a couple of scenes with a tremendous mustache work by Willem oh, Dafoe. Uh, fantastic! Yeah, just great stuff by <laughs> Willem Dafoe, uh, yeah. who shows just up. To show you that Willem Dafoe can play any type of. Uh, I don't want to say crazy, psychotic character, but anybody with that kind of zeal, he, he does fantastic with. He really does. He puts everything, he puts his all into every character he plays. How excited are you for the Northmen? I'm not as excited as you are. I, but, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a watch. I still haven't seen Lighthouse yet, so oh, I, know how much you, I know how much you love that film. So oh, you might have just um, changed next week's challenge. <laughs> yeah, no, I know we we spoke about it, and uh, I, I, you know, for for me, uh, when it comes to a movie like Lighthouse, it's definitely a period piece that I would never be interested in. I don't care who's acting in it, but I know that the two leads in that film do a very good job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all, all the main all the main characters in this and uh, in, in in this movie show up, uh, and and the only one who brings it, the only one who brings any kind of human energy or warmth to it is Hadish and and her character, and she, everyone else is played very very somber. And I right. think except for uh, Mister USA, the <laughs> the poker player who keeps showing up at all these different uh, tournaments. Is he, he's supposed to be Ukrainian, but all, every time he wins a hand, the USA, yeah. him and his cronies are standing up and doing that. So, yeah. Which, by the way, I've seen people like that in in um, in casinos, and I'm sure you have also. I have. They do exist, but uh, yes, they do. Yeah, but the you know, uh, young Kirk comes to to William Tell and and he lets him know that he he's looking to kill. Uh, Willem Dafoe's character, Gordo, Major right. Gordo, right. and Tell tries to push him off, and and it's essentially a story. A road. It becomes for a little while a bit of a road story with the two of them, uh, with Tell trying to give Kirk an, an alternate road, and uh, ultimately he's trying to win enough money to pay down Kirk's student loan debt mm-hmm. so he can go right. back to right. college because he doesn't want to end up in, in the, the way the way that uh, that Tell did. Um, right. But yeah, man, I thought that that I thought that Isaac uh, had this haunted quality to him that I hadn't seen in, or at least really? I. Well, he but was because he he. But that's that's the look that he always gives off. He he did the um, uh, the ex machina. Yeah, uh, he did the Llewellyn. Yeah, film. he is haunted and, in Llewellyn and, Davis. But, but that's what I'm saying. He's got that haunted look to him at all times, which 
I, that's fine. He does it. He does it great. He does it great. Can you give me give me a ro- a romance comedy with him in it where he's showing you something a little bit different in the last 10 years where he's come to the forefront of our, you know, of knowing him as an actor. I just don't know him as anything else. Hmm. That's where I'm saying that I don't see this. He did. I I see this actor in a lot of, uh, of his other work. He did play apocalypse in the awful X-Men movie. Oh God. I was hoping you weren't going to bring that up. I was Terrible film. Yeah. Terrible. As and 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 while I'm an MCU guy, as you know, um, I I've dabbled in the X-Men films since the X-Men were always my favorite comic when I was growing up. And it's been a hit or miss, and boy, was that a miss for them. Oh, it was terrible. Did you know? See, and this is the sort of thing, this is why Arco and I will will browse IMDB so you listeners at home don't have to. <laughs> don't have to. Did no. you know that he is going to play Solid Snake in a movie adaptation of Metal Gear Solid? I did know that. And I'm not a Metal Gear fan. So oh, I really? Very, I know I know very little of that uh, oh. of that franchise. All right, I'm sorry. Um, I don't maybe probably might not be. something that I'll catch in the theaters. And I would only catch. And listen, as we know, video game movies, as a rule, suck, <laughs> suck hard. Uh, so for him to make this film after he said he had a horrible time making uh, Apocalypse, I was very surprised. It would. It, so that's that's a money grab, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, probably, but you know, nothing hey, wrong with that. Nothing. nothing we we do not we no, do not condemn no. anyone for no, uh, for, Make for taking money. the money. We give them all <laughs> the credit in the world. Absolutely. Um. Um. But but in this film, uh, it's funny when you were saying, uh, talking about him, what he was doing with the kid. I also think it was his chance at redemption, or at least a hopeful chance at redemption that he was trying to put off um, Kirk with a C. From doing what he wanted to do, kill uh, Major Gordo, and basically ruin his life, and he 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 had blinders on the entire time. Kirk, that's all he wanted to do. His life sucked from what from what he said because his father came back and probably suffered from terrible PTSD, drugs, and abuse where the mother just left him, and that's all he wanted to do. And he was trying to save him from this. And I think that was his one chance at redemption. And while he had it for a short time, look what happened. Yeah. 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 And because Kurt. And, and it was heartbreaking. It was, it was a, this was a bleak film from start well, to end. It was only one, maybe five minutes where this film turned around for me. And then it went off the deep end. And I could not believe that it turned that way. But I guess I should have seen that coming. Well, Paul Schrader has a pretty bleak outlook on life. And most yeah. of his movies, and, yeah. and again, if you haven't seen it, he's, he's been around. Whether, you're not, uh, whether you've seen his movies or not, he's, he's touched so many, so many movies, so many screenplays he's written. He wrote The Last mm-hmm. Temptation of Christ, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Hardcore with George C. Scott, if anyone's ever seen that, that should, should turn it off. <laughs> um, great movie about the, the a father trying to find his daughter in the sex right. sex worker industry. He wrote "Bringing Out the Dead" with Nicolas Cage. Did you see that? The ambulance driver movie. Uh, I, I, bits and pieces. My yeah. favorite line from that film was, 
is uh, when Nicolas Cage goes into work and he was late and he and uh, the b- boss tells him just to get out there and he goes, "You promised you would fire me if I was late again. You promised." Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of a lot of Schrader's characters kind of su- uh, suffer from that recurring, ex- like I said before, this existential s- sense of of mm-hmm. they're living these lives that they they can't get out of, they hate, but they're but they can't escape, and they're looking for some. Like you said, with William Tell, they're they're looking for some sort of redemption. A redemption sort of dangles itself in front of it, in front of them, and invariably, it never works out for no, the best. It, it definitely didn't work out in this one, and definitely in a way that I did not see coming. So, as far as a twist goes, uh, it was very well done. Um, <laughs> there was no happy ending for me in this film, though, and I doubt anybody else will get anything happy out of it. No, but hopefully, what what I think Schrader is trying to get you to do is and i can't speak for his intent but what i take from it is is sort of that maybe if you feel that way and you know there's there's been so many articles and think pieces and conversations about what the pandemic has done to us in terms of our outlook on the world long term and our our own mental health Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes if you sort of realize that other people are are in these terrible situations and obviously the william tell character is an extreme example of course of course but you're not the only one thinking these thoughts and you know with so many of of traders movies a lot of these characters do go off and and do the worst possible thing uh as a result like you know the climax of taxi driver is notorious for for what he has uh robert de niro character do uh but you know, this is this has been his life's work, and I I don't know, man. Traders stuff it speaks to me. It's so relentlessly bleak. It's so disturbing in a lot of ways. And I saw uh, this, uh, I saw this uh, in a theater. Me and one other guy <laughs> sitting about as far apart as you can uh, when this came out in a theater on like a Wednesday at three in the afternoon. Uh, and you, you, when you come out of this movie and it's daylight, there's a lot wrong with your life. Yeah, oh boy, I could I could see you screaming across the uh, the movie theater. Hey, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, it's just it it's just one of those movies. But now that I know that you've never seen anything else from uh, from Schrader, I I wonder. You know, I, but I could see why a film like this or a a writer like this appeals to you. I mean, uh, you know, we we've said you know we've gone into your past as a as a detective in the NYPD. You've seen things. Or been part of things that many of us have never seen, and I have to be honest with you. Thank God I have not. I don't have it in me to deal with a lot of the things that go on in this world. Uh, the underbelly, you've been part of it, and that's why you're, you know, you're going to be a writer and a successful one, I'm sure. And uh, and that's where you're deriving this from, and that's where a lot of these movies come from. I, but for me this life that's not for me that's why a lot of these films don't touch me like they do you but you know what's interesting you tell so you just that just triggered something in my head it's funny i'm drawn to this relentlessly bleak dark story and yet i didn't want to see greenland because it was a story which is infinitely worse ostensibly about the end of the world absolutely, absolutely. and i wonder how much a psychiatrist could make off my insurance if I wanted to go figure <laughs> out why I'm drawn to one guy alone in a room writing in a writing in a journal about his own sins with well, a glass of whiskey. 
if there are any psychiatrists out there uh, listening to us, as I'm sure there are, please contact us. Um, Jason has some money for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what that is. This is again, we've we've discussed this before. The idea of podcasting as therapy, as a sort yes. of like being able to process how you feel about some of these stories and what they make you feel. And well, I I agree. I agree. But yeah, man. Uh, so so okay. Now we know. We we kind of. But I enjoyed the film. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the film. Um, uh, it wouldn't have been a film that, of course, you know, uh, like any of the ones that you've given me, never a film that I would have uh, chosen to watch on my own. Uh, but, uh, you know, Oscar Isaac, not a huge fan. Uh, can I see him winning an Oscar someday? Yes, I can. But I guarantee you, and I, I will say it here so anybody can listen back and that Arco Esposito said on his podcast for Movie Challenge Accepted that if Oscar Isaac wins an Oscar, it will be because he will be playing a tortured soul of some sort, and that's what will get him that, that statuette. Well, if he does, I'm, I'm going to say he deserves it because he's had a, a lot of experience trying to, yeah. trying to get to that <laughs> yeah. point. Hey, Perfected, yes. Speaking yeah. of which, you said on this podcast, are you going to be, I think you, told, you mentioned you're going to be appearing on another podcast soon, right? Do you want, we should hype be, that yes. up, right? Absolutely. Uh, my friend, James Louie, who I've known for a better part of 20 years, a huge comic book fan. This is where we met. We met at a place in Port Washington uh, where I grew up, where he grew up called Mint Condition. That's where we got all of our comic books. And uh, he has started a podcast back in September called The Secret Origin of Mint Condition. And he has invited me on to uh, speak with him and his two partners. So we're going to be talking about all things X-Men as well as my secret origin with Mint Condition. And um, I will give you guys an update on when that will be. Uh, I know we'll be recording sometime at the end of January. Uh, going to be a two-hour-long podcast, I, I think, uh, something along those lines. Well, uh, well, how about this? We'll be talking for a few hours, and then they'll they'll cut it down to whatever is no. useful. Hey, listen, but, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, we could all talk about X Men for two two months, much less two two hours. Yeah, they 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 they, they do a really good job. They really get into not only comics but um, whatever pop culture is going on there uh, going on uh, in the world. They also do a lot of. Uh, a lot of other things, small screen stuff, um, comics. So they, they really have a good time. If anybody has a has a, some time to kill, um, the Secret Origin of Mink Condition podcast is fantastic to listen to. Yeah, we're going to put a link to that show in the show notes. And uh, if you like Excellent. us, yeah, if you like us, you'll like them. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, that's that's great. And uh, we'll be looking forward for that. Uh, all okay. right. So challenges for next week. Okay, why don't you go first? I'll go first. So I had a movie in mind, but (laughs) we're going to change gears. This is is what we, we in the football game call an audible. Okay. And uh, I read as your. As long as you don't forget the other one you were going to give me. <laughs> uh, I I won't believe me. I'll, okay. I'll remember it. Okay. But uh, yeah, I I I see your defense, and I'm calling a hot route. <laughs> Excuse me. That was uh that was the lack of as a professional podcaster. <laughs> um, we're gonna send you into the world of Robert Eggers, and okay. you're gonna watch The Lighthouse. Okay. As I bring it up, that's what I'll be watching. It okay. C- hey, listen. I could have given you The Witch. But I'm going to give you the lighthouse, and um, right. <laughs> I'm going to be very curious to see what you make of this. I'm looking forward to it. Both uh, you and our friend Colin on our thread have spoken very highly of this film, so I have not 
wikied it as I am known to do. So I actually know very little about this film other than it is a uh, late 1800s kind of period piece of sorts. Yes. So uh, I will take I will take that and challenge accepted. All right. What about for me? Well, for you, we're getting these all out of the way. We're going to go back to the MCU. We're going to go back. Uh, we're going to go with basically what people call Avengers 2.5, and that would be Captain America Civil War. Um, we spoke about uh, Age of Ultron, and I know that you saw that there was some dissension starting within the ranks. And this movie will be the one that uh, kind of brings that to the fore. So I am looking forward to see what you um, what you take of this film. All right, this oh, this was done by the Russo brothers. This is the yeah, this was the second film by the Russo brothers. Um, now you've you've seen you've seen the stories. You yeah. told me that Avengers and the uh, you like you like the Avengers. You liked Winter Soldier. You've seen the effects. You know what you're getting into. Now it's really about, in my opinion, I think how the characters are played out and how much these actors really get into their roles to sell you what's going on. And if you're going to start feeling what I felt, and maybe not to that effect, to that point, of course, because I really enjoyed these films like you have no idea. But I, that, that's what I want you to get out of the MCU. Did you, from point A where you had nothing to do with them to, oh my God, I really felt something at the end. Let me tell you, I'm looking at this cast Oh yeah, it's it's a cast. Oh my god, how did this... it's a cast? Every... And not only that, but it worked. See, that's that's what's amazing. It's you're not going to look at the final three films that I give you, and you're going to say, "Well, this was there was a waste to have this person. It was a waste to have that person." They make everything. They make everybody work in one way or another. That you that you say, "Wow, I'm glad that person was in this film." All right. Well, I'm kind of yeah. excited because, like I said, yeah. I, did, I did like the first Avengers movie. Didn't care for Ultron. So okay. hopefully okay. we can get back on the horse here. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely going to get back on the horse. So All that's right. your challenge. So next week, cha well, challenge accepted. Next week, okay. we're going to be discussing Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. And mm -hmm. we are also going to be discussing the Russo brothers, Captain America, Civil War. So thank you again, Arco, for uh, joining me. I appreciate you uh, waiting a little bit because I know we recorded a little later than usual. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you uh, doing this with me as I'm ducking and dodging the uh, the virus all around me. <laughs> but uh, I'm still going strong, people, so uh, it hasn't got me yet. You're still alive. So, all I'm right. Still alive. <laughs> we'll see you next week, guys, and uh, we hope you had a good time. And, uh, again, on Movie Challenge Accepted. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care.